The president stated his concerns of voter fraud and, and people voting illegally during the campaign, and he continues to maintain that belief. Of course he does. Hey, how's that investigation going? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. They never did do that, did I got they? The feeling that something right. No, they didn't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in Los Angeles. Also up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. On 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, Hawaii. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. On Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around Swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. I've got I've got quite a bit of voting related news, democracy related news today. Uh, most of it kind of troubling, uh, but actually some of it good. Some of some of the good news in one sense actually comes from uh, Desi Doyen state of Texas, believe it Yay. or not. How often does that happen? Not often enough. All of this news is um, actually the the voting related news is all in key swing states where Republicans are very, very worried, not just about their unpopular president uh, in 2018, but even in elections coming up sooner than that, where Republicans are very worried with good reason uh, about the quickly changing demographics uh, in the various states. And they seem, uh, you know, they're they're going to do whatever they can to uh, try to even the score, no matter how they have to change the laws, no matter how they have to try to keep certain people from voting in order to uh, counterbalance that uh, those demographics changes. So we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, first, um, Arkansas overcame a flurry of court challenges that derailed three other executions. But they went ahead and put a man to death, uh, an inmate to death for the first time in nearly a dozen years as part of a plan that would have been the country's most ambitious since the death penalty was restored in 1976, as the AP describes it. Uh, Liddell Lee's lethal injection on Thursday night capped a chaotic week of legal wrangling that left the uh, Arkansas the state of Arkansas scrambling to salvage any part of its attempt to execute eight men. They had planned to execute eight men over 11 days, two a night on four different nights. 
all before one of their drugs expires at the end of April. One of the three drugs that are used in their uh, lethal cocktail that they kill people with in the state of Arkansas. That drug was going to expire by the end of this month. And uh, so the governor put all eight of these uh, men on the schedule to be killed in short order. Um, so far, uh, of the four that were scheduled to be killed by now, uh, three of them received stays of various sorts. Uh, but Liddell Lee did not. He's 51 years old, or he was, and he was pronounced dead at 11.56 p.m. on Thursday night, just four minutes before his death warrant was to expire. The first three executions were canceled because of the court decisions, and now two more inmates are set to die uh, on Monday and uh, and one next Thursday. Another inmate scheduled for execution uh, has received a stay. So, um so far, four stays, one dead, and uh, three dead men walking still at this point. The U.S. Supreme Court had cleared the way for the execution on Thursday night, just an hour before his death warrant was to expire, rejecting uh, last-minute appeals from the, uh, from the inmates' attorneys. Nina Morrison, senior staffer, uh, staff attorney at the Innocence Project, which is a nonprofit legal or- organization that helped Represent Lee in his final appeals said that Arkansas's decision to rush through the execution of Mr. Lee just because its supply of lethal drugs are expiring at the end of the month denied him the opportunity to conduct DNA testing that could have proved his innocence. So he didn't even get that because we had to kill him because the drugs were about to expire. Uh, the uh, the plan to execute the second inmate, Stacy Johnson, was uh, was dropped on Thursday after the state supreme court said that it uh, it uh, would allow Johnson to seek more DNA testing in hopes of proving his innocence. Another state supreme court ruling in the day had allowed the officials to use those lethal injection drugs, one of which a supplier says uh, Arkansas obtained. With, uh, by misleading the company that they purchased them from. The McKesson Corporation had filed a lawsuit saying the state had obtained vecuronium bromide, one of the three drugs used in the uh, lethal injection process, under false pretenses. We had spoken with uh, Rob Dunham a few days ago from the Death Penalty Information Center, and he said that uh, apparently what the state did was they said that these drugs would be used for medical purposes, didn't explain that they would be used for, uh, well, I guess murdering purposes. McKesson said it wants nothing to do with executions and was disappointed that the court did not block the use of the uh, the drug that they sold. Justices, uh, state Supreme Court justices, I guess here, uh, also denied an attempt by the makers of midazolam and potassium chloride. Midazolam is the drug that's expiring at the end of this month. The, those are the other two drugs that are used in uh, Arkansas executions. Um, they, uh, the justices denied those companies their attempts to um, intervene in, the, uh, in, in McKesson's fight uh, to join them, essentially. The pharmaceutical company said there is a public health risk if their drugs are diverted for use in executions and that the state's po- uh, possession of the drugs violates rules within their distribution networks. So despite the fact that it violates rules, despite the fact that the companies don't want their medicine used that way to kill people, despite the fact that the state of Arkansas misrepresented them, uh, themselves, they were nonetheless allowed to go ahead and kill a man with those drugs on Thursday night. Um, the uh, prison director 
Uh, Wendy Kelly said that there is no way to obtain more midazolam or vecuronium bromide. These uh, next three men uh, who will be killed with lethal injection unless the court stops them uh, will be the last to be killed in Arkansas, at least with midazolam. Uh, according to uh, according to AP's report here, the um, the the killing was allowed to go through in the first place after the U.S. Supreme Court decided on in a five to four ruling to uh, to allow it to go forward. That means that Neil Gorsuch, the uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch, who took the stolen seat. Stolen by Republicans, um, left open after Antonin Scalia's death for uh, more than a year. Well, he was uh, with the majority on that five to four. So that stolen seat by Republicans has now resulted in the death of an American today. Justice Stephen Breyer in the dissent said he was troubled by Arkansas's push to execute inmates before the uh, midazolam expires, uh, writing, quote, apparently the reason the state decided to proceed with these eight executions is that the use by date of the state's execution drug is about to expire. In my view, he said that factor, when considered as a determining factor separating those who live from those who die, is close to random. That's how we do it here in these United States. Um, so, uh, well, to uh, to cheer us up, we'll turn to Desi Doyen in a bit. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to cheer you up. I just You're wanted not? to stay, just point yeah. out really quick that with the execution of Liddell Lee, you know, he he maintained his innocence mm-hmm. for the entire 20 something years that he was on death row and he was denied that DNA test that was actually granted to Stacey Johnson, whose stay, whose execution was stayed. So it's a very bizarre turn of events that one person gets to live because he's going to get a DNA test for at least a little while. He'll get to live. But the other guy was denied that test for more than 20 years. You're not cheering us up at all. As yeah, a matter sorry. of fact, that's okay. I had turned to you uh, to say, uh, hey, you'll be back with the Green News Report in a little bit at least. Yeah. That always cheers us up. Uh, and in, in this case, actually, we've got some uh, some good news in it. Uh, Saudi Arabia is now investing billions. Saudi Arabia is now investing billions in renewable energy. Yes. Not oil. But solar, wind, and so forth. Yep. Uh, so there's some good news, and also uh, some updates on the, uh, the 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 marches, the marching scientists coming up, uh, the march for science over the weekend, this weekend, and the People's Climate March coming up next weekend. So uh, that will be ahead, and in somewhat related news, Des. And you'll see why in a second. Uh, we, we've got uh, we got word this week. I've been trying to get to this word from the uh, in the inaugural Donald Trump's inaugural committee that raised one hundred and six point seven million dollars, a record amount of money. And that comes from major corporations and business titans that were given straight to the uh, Trump's inauguration uh, committee. And they had 90 days to report where all of that money came from. Now we know Came from a lot of places, uh, a lot of very rich people, a lot of very uh, big corporations. The inaugural committee raised, as I said, a record 106.7 million. That's about double what Barack Obama's 2009 inauguration had received, according to the FEC filings. And at the time, the the 50 or so, 53 million, I think that he raised, that was. Uh, That was a record at that time. Now this has doubled that amount. The biggest chunk of the money that went to Donald Trump came from casino magnate 
and major Republican donor Sheldon Adelson, who bought himself $5 million worth, I'm sorry, who contributed $5 million <laughs> to the inauguration uh, committee. Uh, whatever access that comes with that, well, yeah, that's a lot of money. The inauguration obviously took place on January 20th, and major corporations uh, who gave a million dollars or more include Bank of America, Boeing, Pfizer, Qualcomm, Dow Chemical, AT&T. They all gave more than a million dollars. And so I suspect they'll have excellent access with the Donald Trump administration. The Center for Public Integrity finds that at least six National Football League franchise owners each gave Trump's uh, inaugural committee a, a million dollars each. So the NFL should do well enough with the uh, uh, with the, the Trump administration, should have all the access they need. Oh, sure. And, you know, with Dow Chemical, one of the major corporations that you said gave mm-hmm. more than a million dollars. Funny thing about that, yeah. sort of just a few weeks after the um, inauguration, Dow Chemical petitioned the EPA Mm -hmm. to allow its pesticide, chlorpyrifos, which all of the EPA scientists said should not be allowed and should be banned for use entirely. The EPA suddenly said, you know what, that study that says it's bad, we're going to allow that to go through anyway. Anyway, even though the actual scientists, the actual staffers on the EPA, the career staffers, not the political appointees like the head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, Career staffer said, "No, we should not be using this stuff." Just Scott needs Pruitt to be said, banned. "But and that was after studying it for a right. long time." And uh, the the uh, head of the EPA now, Donald Trump's appointee, Scott Pruitt said, "Yeah, let's use it anyway." Uh, thanks, uh, Dow Chemical. Has I'm sure there's no connection with whatsoever. Million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, energy companies, as you might expect, were also very, very generous in their giving to Trump. Uh, companies which uh, Trump has pledged to empower through his efforts to roll back environmental regulations, as you note, Des. Oh, yeah. uh, this would be Chevron, Citgo Petroleum, Exxon, Murray Energy, and Darko Petroleum. They all bought their access to the uh, to the administration. Billionaire Texan Kelsey Warren, whose company is building the uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline, which the Trump administration gave final approval to back in February. Uh, Kelsey Warren gave two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to Trump's inauguration committee. The uh, public sit is so draining the swamp. They're really draining the swamp, aren't they? And then you got individuals, a whole bunch of hedge fund managers who all gave about a quarter of a million dollars. Um, public citizens Craig Holman, uh, who we've had on a guest uh, as a guest on this show, uh, said uh, Trump imposed very few restrictions on the sources and amounts of donations. While Presidents Clinton, Bush and Obama placed caps on the amount of donations for their inaugurations and Obama also eschewed corporate PAC and lobbyist donations, Trump declined donations only, only from registered lobbyists. Otherwise, the sky was the limit uh, on the amount a corporation or a PAC or a wealthy individual could contribute. His inauguration committee even offered packages to entice large donors. The more one gave, the better access to Trump and congressional leaders you got. For the million-dollar package, a donor received a, quote, intimate dinner with the president, vice president, and cabinet officials. For the lesser $250,000 package, those slackers, they received, quote, an intimate policy discussion. So, hey, you got $250,000, you can have an intimate policy discussion 
with the administration of the United States of America, the president of the United States. Just amazing. This uh, Robert Weissman, also from Public Citizen, the president there, said, um, if only all that money had bought a bigger crowd. Oh, me, yeah, Robert. Uh, he said the the Trump administration did not wait to take office before embracing and deepening the pay-to-play corrupt culture against which he ran as a candidate. Those who did attend the inauguration did so out of civic pride and celebration of American democracy, but for inaugural donors, it was all about buying access and influence and corrupting American democracy. So much for draining the swamp. I, I should also note, uh, actually, Rachel Maddow on this point has been doing some very good, the last couple of days, uh, has been doing some very good reporting here by uh, pointing out that, you know, it was a much smaller inauguration than, uh, than Obama's, yet they raised twice the money. So what'd they do with all that money? Where'd that go? Who's holding it? Uh, what are they spending it on? Who got it? She's uh, she's saying essentially there could be a 50 million dollar slush fund slushing around uh, and it could use some attention and some investigating. So I'm glad she has been on that and trying to point that out uh, at least. So there's that. But, you know, speaking of Sheldon Adelson, the largest donor with five million dollars, speaking of Sheldon Adelson, uh, he now owns a newspaper. He's from uh, Nevada, lives in Nevada. He now uh, he secretly purchased Uh, The Las Vegas Review Journal not too long ago, that paper is now owned by him in this very, very important and very, very swingy, uh, the swingiest of swing states in Nevada. Interesting story that happened uh, last Friday from the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, and uh, it's been sort of a mystery for the last few days. We've now learned a little bit about this mystery, a little so let's start with what we learned from the Las Vegas Review-Journal last uh, last Friday. Nevada's top election official on Friday of last week opened an investigation into alleged voter fraud in last year's election. She said that her office had uncovered evidence that non-citizens had cast ballots. We need a sound effect here. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Uh, Based on uh, new information, she wrote, new information that we have recently uncovered, we have initiated an investigation into illegal votes cast in the last general election. Secretary of State Barbara Sagafsky, I'm going to have trouble saying her name, Sagafsky, there we go, Barbara Sagafsky told the Las Vegas Journal Review Journal late on Friday. Now, of course, that is just what Donald Trump has been claiming. In fact, that there have been non-citizens casting ballots And here we have in this important swing state of Nevada, we found evidence, according to the secretary of state, that that is exactly what's going on. You remember Donald Trump after uh, after becoming president, while losing the popular vote by three million votes, he continued to assert that he actually won the popular vote had it not been for anywhere from three to five million illegal votes and a lot of them from non-citizens, as he has charged, as Republicans have charged. Sagafsky's office, I'm going to keep having trouble, Sagafsky's office on Friday sent this letter to the Department of Motor Vehicles about uh, about voter registration forms that are issued by the DMV. She said it has come to our attention that when offering voter registration opportunities to customers, DMV employees offer voter registration materials to DMV customers whom they know to be non-citizens based on their presentation 
of a green card for identification purposes. This practice must cease immediately, the Secretary of State told the DMV in the letter. Please take appropriate corrective actions, as we have reason to believe that non-citizens have unlawfully registered to vote in Nevada as a direct result of the DMV's practices. Moreover, we have now confirmed... That we have confirmed that some non-citizens illegally cast votes in the 2016 general election. Now, existing federal law, the paper points out, allows people who go to the DMV to fill out voter registration applications to register. As a matter of fact, it doesn't allow. It actually mandates that, uh, that voters be able to do this when they go to the DMV. Those forms are then forwarded to county election officials to verify eligibility to election officials, you know, those who work under Secretary of State Barbara Sagasky. Sagasky would not divulge how many illegal voters are suspected, adding that the investigation is still in its infancy, but she came out and she made this announcement on Friday. Non-citizens are allowed to obtain driver uh, driver authorization cards at the DMV, which can be used to legally operate a vehicle on state roads, but are not valid as ID to obtain state benefits uh, or licenses or services or for federal purposes like for voting. A citizen initiative to automatically register people to avoid all of this nonsense in Nevada um, that has uh, was approved by the Democratic-controlled state legislature, uh, but it was vetoed by Republican Governor Brian Sandoval last month. So that measure will actually now go before voters in 2018. But um, so that's how the uh, Las Vegas uh, Journal uh, Review Journal reported it, and it set off about five days of speculation. Who are these voters? Well, how many non-voters are we, t- non-citizens are we talking about? What's the information? Well, we didn't know. The Secretary of State did not immediately answer any additional questions about these alleged illegal votes. How many were cast? Where and whether arrests had been made? Why the existing system for verifying voter eligibility apparently did not catch the unqualified registrations in the first place. The Nevada Independent, a good newspaper, uh, made these points. Who is she talking about? What is she talking about? They also noted, by the way, that Sagasky is a Republican, which the uh, Review Journal did not bother to note in their in their report. And uh, they were able to get a statement late Friday from the Secretary of State saying we're in the nascent stages of the investigation. We have confirmed there were illegal non-citizen votes cast in the 2016 election, however. But election officials started freaking out about this. The DMV started freaking out about this. Uh, The uh, Joe Gloria, the, the, uh, the county clerk in Clark County, which is Vegas, that's the most popular uh, county in Vegas, said he was unaware of any voter fraud probe when he was asked about it by the Nevada Independent on Friday night. He said, this is the first I've heard about it. So uh, people who are legal permanent residents or green card holders can use that card to get a driver's license, but not to vote. The Nevada DMV offers these driver authorization cards, uh, but it doesn't allow you to actually vote with them. 
Nonetheless, they can't say who the the DMV can't decide who is allowed to fill out a voter registration form and who isn't. Now, there's not a big history of, of you know fraud, at least not voter fraud, in the state of Nevada. In 2016, what we know of right now is just two cases of voter registration fraud that came to light. A woman in Pahrump, Nevada, uh, who was arrested on charges of intimidating voters and perjury. She had allegedly been marking Republican or nonpartisan on voter registration forms when voters wanted to be registered as Democrats. Uh, a Las Vegas man uh, was arrested for putting people's names on a petition without their permission. Uh, on behalf of the Green Party to try to unsuccessfully uh, help a, a Green Party candidate qualify for a place on the on the Nevada ballot. I, back in 2012 at Bradblog.com, we reported uh, in, in Vegas, a woman uh, was arrested for attempting to vote multiple times for Mitt Romney. Uh, we reported at the time, uh, back in 2012, Roxanne Rubin was upset because poll workers did not check her ID during early voting, so she tried to vote again to prove a point. But appropriately enough, she was quickly arrested and taken into custody by the FBI, proving that Nevada's system of preventing double voting at the polls actually worked well and efficiently. Back to the uh, more recent story. The elections chief said her office is trying to tighten up the procedures. This is the secretary of state now, the new secretary of state, trying to tighten up procedures governing the flood of people who who come to work uh, voter registration drives in this swing state, uh, You know, suggesting that what they're doing is uh, registering all sorts of illegal voters, I guess. But the Department of Motor Vehicles said that uh, this all came as a complete surprise. And they pointed out that you and your office to the secretary of state approved the process that we are now using, that you are now expressing concerns about and pointed the finger back at the secretary of state because it is the secretary of state and the county clerks who are supposed to be the ones who are checking the validity of these voter registrations. All they do at the DMV is flag them when there's uh, something, uh, some unusual reason, like in this case, a green card. They flag them. Hey, this one has a green card. You guys might want to make sure if this person who gave us a green card has actually become a citizen or not. Right, because you don't want some DMV representative, some clerk at the DMV to be the one who decides who gets to register to vote. So that's why they flag it. And that's why it's up to the county clerks to decide that. So this was going on for days, three days later. So she made this letter on Friday. Three days later, the governor, the Republican governor, Brian Sandoval, the one who has uh, you know, no fan of, of, of voters and making it easier to vote. He said he didn't know what the hell the secretary of state was talking about. He wanted to see the evidence concerning the 2016 general election. Uh, but she had put forward no evidence. So all of this speculation was going on. Sandoval said, um, I, I'm concerned. I just want to find the truth. If there's an issue, we need to examine how it happened and take action from there. But the thing is, this is federal law, the National Voter Registration Act. And the American Civil Liberties Union uh, had worked for the past year or two with Nevada to make sure that they followed the National Voter Registration act at the DMV by giving out by giving the opportunity out to people who came in to register to vote. And they finally had agreed uh, on this process, the uh, on, on how to comply with this uh, federal law, the motor voter program, as they call it. And then the secretary of state comes in and says, oh, it's a disaster. Non-citizens are voting. Well, we finally have word. 
As of late this week, we have at least some word of, of who we're talking about, what we're talking about, what has set off this great panic in the state of Nevada concerning their voter registration, uh, the, the scandal, these non-citizens voting. Well, the Secretary of State announced on Wednesday that her office has evidence that three non-citizens voted illegally in the 2016 general election, culminating five days of speculation about the case but still leaving many questions unanswered uh, and uh, setting off this spat between the two state offices at the Secretary of State's office and the uh, and the DMV's office. Voting rights advocates have been especially concerned, given Sagatsky's directions to the DMV, telling them how to handle voter registration paperwork that could be in violation of the federal law. So uh, this is what we know now. Uh, the DMV uh, was was actually acting appropriately, as far as anyone can tell here, in passing these registrations, flagging them, passing them to the county clerk. And it should have been up to the secretary of state to catch these voters, these three voters about which all of this uh, out of millions of votes cast these three voters. It was the secretary of state themselves who should have done a better job of figuring this out. The uh, the statement on Wednesday that Sagafsky's office had last month apparently obtained a list from the DMV of 100 or so people statewide who had used green cards as identification when filling out their voter registration form. From that list, it was determined that, in fact, 21 had voted. So it's not just three. It's 21 illegal votes out of the millions cast there, but I shouldn't say illegal votes. 21 people who had registered with green cards. That does not make them non-citizens. In fact, right now, only three of those cases uh, do they have evidence uh, that they, in fact, were non-citizens illegally voting. So this is how Republicans are now uh, behaving, particularly in states where demographics are quickly changing against them, like in Nevada, they're doing, you know, they're they're putting out, they're freaking out. They're trying to put restrictions on voting because they're, they're concerned about places like Nevada. Oh, sure. And they're also trying to gin up outrage among the public who is not going to hear this follow up that it was only three. It was only three. No, they're going to hear what Fox News Secretary of State of Nevada says illegals are voting. That I'm sure was the headline. Yeah. Uh, so places like Nevada, this is happening. Places like Georgia, where we had the first round of voting to fill that U.S. House seat vacated by uh, Trump's Health and Human, Sur uh, Human Services Secretary Tom Price on Tuesday. There's going to be a runoff in Georgia. There's a very popular Democrat running in that otherwise very red district now in June. And Georgia is also playing registration games in Texas, where Republicans have been working hard to keep Democrats from voting any way they can for years. We've got some good news there, I think. I'll take a quick break. We'll come back with that and Georgia. Either way, we'll have stories on those states and the efforts to keep, you know, their efforts to keep certain people from voting even in this upcoming runoff in Georgia in June, despite the National Voter Registration Act, which is federal, so it also applies to Georgia, that's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. That's a night that the lights went out in Georgia. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The the lights did not go out in Georgia on Tuesday night, but the uh, the electronic computer, Diebold computer tabulators of Georgia's 100% unverifiable voting machines did, in fact, go out for about two hours in Fulton County uh, at a very crucial moment. Uh, during the uh, during the special election for U.S. House that was running on Tuesday, where you had this uh, Democrat way above uh, the pack of split Republicans. The Democrat in this case was hoping to get 50 percent, in which case John Ossoff would have won the U.S. House seat outright, the seat of the uh, that was vacated by Congressman Tom Price, who's now uh, part of the Trump administration. In And this is uh, Georgia's 6th District, a very, very Republican district. Uh, and as they were counting, when the initial numbers came out, uh, John Ossoff was up around 55 percent. Uh, but his numbers started coming down throughout the night as everyone was watching this very closely. The two uh, largest counties had their results in 100 percent in. And John Ossoff was still just above the 50 percent mark at 50.3 percent. And we were waiting for Fulton County, the last of the three counties in the 6th District, the home of the uh, the the uh, leading Republican candidate, Karen Handel, the former secretary of state, by the way. They were down at 16 percent. Nobody could figure out why. And this went on for hours. And then we were told, oh, the, there's a memory card error in the uh, with from one of the 100 percent unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems that they still force voters in Georgia to use. Uh, and so for about two hours, we waited with uh, Ossoff right at 50.3%. And then suddenly they, they corrected those. I almost said fixed, but they corrected that tabulator. They corrected those computers and the counting started again. And suddenly Ossoff had dropped down to about 48%. And that was that. So the these uh, Diebold machines, as I went into great detail uh, a couple of days ago, uh, essentially save the day for the Republicans. And if you have any questions about those results and what they really should be, well, you're out of luck because you can't. Uh, you, that's why they why I call them unverifiable touchscreen machines. If you, you can't do a recount, there is nothing to recount. There is nothing to count in the first place. So with that in mind, the Republicans nonetheless got a big, big scare out of that uh, election, and they are watching very closely for what will now be a runoff on June 20. And they are very concerned about losing this race uh, to, to a Democrat in what has been an historically Republican district since since the 70s, since Newt Gingrich won the seat initially back in 1978, I think it was. So, uh, you know, a lot of eyes are now on Georgia. A lot of money is rolling in from the grassroots who were supporting John Ossoff, this uh, 30, 
30-year-old newcomer to politics running against the former Secretary of State, Republican Secretary of State Karen Handel. And now uh, five civil rights and civic engagement groups have filed suit against Georgia and its current Secretary of State for attempting to block registered voters from participating in this closely watched runoff election in the 6th Congressional District in Georgia. The lawsuit claims that the state's policy will prevent an untold number of people from voting in this hotly contested runoff in June between uh, John Ossoff and Karen Handel. On Thursday, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law filed a complaint uh, in the federal district court in Atlanta arguing that the state is violating the National Voter Registration Act, what we talked about in uh, in Nevada in the last segment, that uh, the NVRA allows uh, 30 days before a federal election as the earliest permissible deadline to cut off voter registrations. Georgia complied with that provision for the uh, for the special election for the initial uh, round. But because no candidate won more than 50 percent of the vote, there's going to now be this second election on June 20. And Georgia is contending that the June runoff is just a continuation of the uh, of the April 18 election. When the that was had 18 candidates was running in that the top two are now going on to this runoff. And this is just all the same. Therefore, the registration deadline for uh, for Tuesday's election, the last Tuesday's election, that was March 20. You had to be registered by March 20 to vote on April 18. And now they say anybody who registers after that day is not eligible to vote in June in the runoff. Wow. So with all of this new voter engagement, all of these young voters who are in Georgia, maybe just now finding out that, oh, this this is a runoff. Uh, I should get registered and I should vote. The Republicans in Georgia are trying to prevent anybody who wasn't registered as far back as March 20th. As March 20th. Yeah, you had to have been registered on March 20th to vote in an on an election that is held now on June 20th, three months later. Wow. The, the, the Lawyers Committee for Voting Rights, uh, Ezra Rosenberg, their co-director, says that under the federal law, Georgia cannot set the, de- the, the registration deadline for, uh, for three, what is it, three months earlier. The registration deadline should be May 22 for the June 20 race. Rosenberg said the case is, is actually a very, very simple case. Uh, this was on a conference call last night uh, with reporters. He said uh, federal law specifically defines elections as including runoff elections. So the National Voter Registration Act, which was passed in 93, uh, defines the word election as based on the Federal Election Campaign Act. That's a 1971 law. That statute, if you go back to that, that defines an election as, quote, a general, special, primary or runoff election. So this is blatantly illegal, seems It like. would seem, at least blatantly illegal under federal law. Uh, so the groups are asking uh, the federal court now to let people vote on June 20 as long as they're registered by May 22. On the press call, Francis Johnson, who's the president of the Georgia NAACP, said this is a decision to block people from voting. He said it's par for the course for the Georgia Secretary of State. That's Republican uh, Brian Kemp, who does this all the time. He says the tactics that the Secretary of State and the state of Georgia are implying are anything but special. They are typical. 
Johnson argued that uh, their goal is to make uh, that the secretary of state's goal is to make voting difficult, to make voting something that all Georgians cannot participate in. Anytime there's a need to interpret federal law, Kemp always interprets federal law to close opportunity for Georgians to be able to exercise the right to vote. Stephanie Cho uh, of the Asian American Advancing uh, Justice uh, Group in Atlanta said that Georgia's decision was already causing considerable confusion that people who had moved to the district uh, or turned 18, if they turned 18 since March 20, they also would not be able to register to vote in the upcoming runoff. Uh, they've identified so far at least 100 voters who are affected by, the, uh, by this excessively early deadline. Georgia law requires that individuals who vote in a, uh, in a runoff election must be registered to vote in the initial election, according to Secretary of State spokesperson. But that's Georgia law. Federal law, apparently they don't get it. We had another case a few weeks ago uh, in Georgia that finally settled after many years where this uh, small county finally said, OK, yeah, from now on, we'll go with the federal law. The law is the federal law supersedes the state law. I don't think that they don't know. I think they don't want to know. Well, that's that's right. Of course, the state law is preempted by federal law, but they don't want to know it. They want to waste taxpayer money and go to court and do everything they can to make it as hard and as confusing for people to vote, for people to know if they're even eligible to vote. Johnson of the uh, Georgia's NAACP said, we don't expect Georgia to drop their longstanding practice of disenfranchising voters, so we got to go to court yet again. <laughs> we will fight them every step of the way because this is a serious election with serious implications that go beyond Georgia. It does indeed. And it is not just Nevada and it is not just Georgia. These are swing states where Republicans are getting really desperate because they've got an unpopular president, but they've got demographics working hard against them. And it has been working hard against them for some time, uh, particularly in Texas, uh, where we now have the fourth case in, boy, in, in, in just the last few months, the fourth case now uh, where the courts have found that the state of Texas intentionally discriminated against minority voters. This uh, this broke late yesterday. Texas state house districts, state house districts this time. Uh, drawn by the Republican-led legislature in 2011, intentionally diluted the votes of minorities, violating the U.S. Consti Constitution and parts of the Voting Rights Act. That, according to a federal court on Thursday in a two-to-one ruling in San Antonio, that the maps gave Republicans an advantage in elections and weakened the voting strength of minority voters. So let's add this up. The uh, last we have now they intentionally did this uh, last month. The same court found that the state, the, the congressional maps were also drawn with the intent to discriminate against minority voters. At that point, they invalidated three U.S. House congressional districts in the state of Texas. And last week, a federal judge uh, ruled that the state's photo ID voting restriction was also written with the intent to discriminate. And so this is being done on purpose. This is not just uh, this doesn't hurt minorities. Oh, we accidentally disenfranchised, disproportionately disenfranchised Hispanic and African-American voters. These courts have now determined that the state of Texas did this on purpose. 
Now, the state of Texas used to have to get permission from the federal courts when they would pass a new uh, election-related law because Texas has such a long history of, uh, of, disenfran- of racially discriminating at the polls. But when the uh, U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act, one of the things they did was removed states like Texas and all other states who were on the list of those who had that long history of, of disenfranchise, racial disenfranchisement. They were removed from the list. They're now they're allowed to pass any damn law they want. And if you want to challenge it, you got to wait until it's affected voters later, essentially. And that's what happened here. These were drawn. These maps were drawn in 2011. And here we are in what are we 2017 now, six years later, all of these elections have gone by for uh, for the state house, for Congress that were purposely meant to keep, uh, in this case, uh, Hispanic voters from being able to cast their vote. Those those elections are done. Those members of Congress, those members of the state house, they've already won Uh, this. This worked. This scheme worked because we weren't able to stop it in advance. Thousands of minority voters are being denied their right to an equal opportunity to choose their elected representatives just to preserve the party in power. Uh, Anchea, uh, Congressman uh, Rafael Anchea, uh, chairman of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, uh, wrote in response to the, uh, the, the court ruling, another example of political discrimination by the state of Texas against minority voters, Anchea wrote. Um, so they were, they were packing voters, into Hispanic voters, into uh, you know, certain districts so that nobody else could, you know, so that all of the Hispanic voters were in one place and then everything else would go to the Republicans. And they've been busted. They've been busted doing it again and again and again, doing it on purpose. And they need to be put back on that pre-clearance list under the Voting Rights Act, which still allows the Supreme Court did not gut that part. There is still a Section 3 that allows them to put places like Texas, repeat offenders like the state of Texas, back onto the pre-clearance list. And you know Texas and these other states do not want to be added to that list because they want to get away with this crap because they're looking at this and they're seeing that, uh, you know what, in that election in Georgia last week and the one in Kansas the week before, there was a swing of 20 points from the presidential election back in November, a swing of 20 points from the Republicans to the Democrats. These guys are in trouble. They're in trouble even in Texas. I know we got to get out running late. Let me do this one more here. Uh, a new poll out from the uh, from the state of Texas. Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, who will be running for re-election in 2018. According to uh, a new statewide poll released on Wednesday by Texas Lyceum, um, Congressman, uh, uh, where am I here, Uh, Castro, Julian Castro from Texas, he now gets 35% support of Texas uh, in a potential matchup against Ted Cruz running for Senate. Ted Cruz gets only 31%. So, so Julian uh, Castro, the representative Julian yep. Castro, is polling ahead of ahead Ted Cruz. of Ted Cruz in the state of Texas, in a matchup between Cruz and uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who I've never even heard of. They're tied at thirty percent. Ted Cruz is in trouble in the state of Texas if everyone gets to vote in two thousand and eighteen. There's a reason Republicans are are uh, are freaking out. So um, 
And there's a reason why uh, they're going to try to keep anyone from voting that they can. And there's a reason why you, if you're a voter, need to register to vote, check your registration. Check and your fight family li- family and friends, too. And fight like hell to cast your vote. All right. We'll have more. There's uh, I got more uh, sort of the good news from Texas that they've been busted again and that Democrats are actually doing very well against very powerful and popular senators, even like Ted Cruz. And that comes on the heels of, what was it the other day, 62% of Texas voters are against building the wall and against uh, deporting millions of uh, yep of undocumented aliens. So, uh, hey, your people in Texas are starting to get it right for a change, Des. I hope. Took long enough. Quick break, and we're back with, uh, with more Desi Doyen, the Green News Report, and a few other stories that I hope we have time for. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. That means Desi Doyen is coming up (laughs) with the uh, latest Green News report. Uh, One or two more quick points here, Des. A Democrat has not won a Senate race in Texas in 29 years, according to The Hill. Yep. So uh, now you've got uh, two different Democrats uh, facing the possibility of running against Ted Cruz, who came in second in last year's GOP presidential race. And uh, he's not even beating either of those two potential uh, Democratic candidates, a sitting senator. Kind of amazing, although maybe not. The same poll also found Donald Trump in Texas, his job approval underwater by 12 points. 54 percent of Texans disapprove of the job Trump's doing to only 42 percent who approve. We'll see if it holds. In Texas. We'll see if it holds. We will. Uh, all right, before we go to the Green News Report here, um, a bit of uh, good news, maybe. It is the uh, Queen Elizabeth's, uh, I think, 91st birthday today. Well, as a bit of a maybe happy birthday to Her Majesty, Britain's National Grid says that today may be the first full 24-hour workday since the Industrial Revolution in which the nation does not depend on electricity generated from coal 
How about that? That's pretty cool. As uh, alternative uh, energy production grows, Britain has uh, several times since last spring managed to fully supply its power grid without relying on coal, but only for 19 hours is the longest. They may go 24 hours without coal. For the first time since the Victorian age. Since, uh, yeah, the first, the world's first centralized public coal-fired generator opened in 1882. Yep. Uh, Britain wants to phase out coal altogether by 2025. So there's some good news, and we even have some more today in our latest Green News Report. We're bringing renewables in a big way. Saudi Arabia invests $50 billion in renewable energy projects. Wildfires are getting bigger and more frequent thanks to global warming. The Arctic now has a plastic garbage patch. EPA moves to scuttle more air pollution regulations. Plus, science scientists and evidence-based policymaking are under attack, and people who support science have to take a public stand at this point. Scientists fight back in the March for Science and the People's Climate March. All of those fighting scientists and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Narul, if you have a Trump bumper sticker on your Prius, we get to revoke your driver's license. (laughs) You said it, brother. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, those oil barons of uh, Saudi Arabia seem to have figured out something that the oil barons in the USA have not yet come around to. Indeed. Saudi Arabia, the world's biggest exporter of crude oil, is getting serious about weaning itself off of oil. This week, it announced it accepted proposals to build 30 solar and wind projects worth $50 billion, with the goal of producing 10% of its electricity from renewables within the next five years. The goal, according to Saudi Energy Minister Khalid Al-Fali at a recent energy conference, is to diversify its domestic energy supplies. We're also driving within this Vision 2030 15-year plan also energy diversification. So we're bringing renewables in a big way. And, of course, it makes sense. They want to sell all of their oil. They might as well not burn it at home. Plus, they certainly have plenty of sunshine. In the desert, yeah, of course they do. So Saudi Arabia has figured it out, but... Apparently, the U.S. has yet to figure it out. Well, the Wall Street Journal reported late Wednesday that oil giant ExxonMobil has asked the Treasury Department for an exemption from U.S. sanctions against Russia so it can resume its $500 billion joint venture with state-owned Russian oil company Rosneft to continue offshore oil drilling in the Russian Arctic. That was a deal signed back in 2012 by then-Exxon CEO Rex Tillerson, who is now the U.S. Secretary of State. Hmm, I wonder if they'll get that exemption. Speaking of the Arctic, it has a plastic pollution problem now. According to a new study published Wednesday in the journal Science Advances, researchers found tiny pieces of plastic pollution throughout the water, in sea ice, and on the ocean floor. They say that ocean currents are carrying more pollution into the Arctic, but they also say that there are more humans in the Arctic, as declining sea ice opens the region to more shipping and industrial activity. We really ruin everything, don't we? Here in the U.S., wildfires are growing larger and 
and more frequent as global warming continues heating up and drying out forests. Nine of the ten worst fire seasons in the U.S. have all happened since the year 2000. 2015 was the worst wildfire season in U.S. history. Now researchers at the University of Colorado in a new study warn that to reduce risk, forest management and firefighting must change, like letting some fires burn without intervention. And they say officials should discourage expansion of home building into fire-prone forested areas. The American Lung Association released its annual State of the Air report on Wednesday, estimating that 125 million Americans breathe unhealthy levels of air pollution where they live. So, of course, on the same day, the Trump EPA asked a court of appeals to delay a hearing on rules that would limit the amount of toxic mercury that coal plants can belch into the air. The EPA this week also announced it will reconsider regulations limiting methane, volatile organic compounds, benzene, and other toxic air pollution from new oil and gas facilities. Because what the world needs is more benzene. Here in the U.S., scientists and the people who love science are marching to protect and defend science in the Trump era. Two marches modeled after the Women's March, the March for Science on Earth Day, April 22nd, and the People's Climate March on Saturday, April 29th, with hundreds of marches planned in the U.S. and around the world. Eric Davidson, geochemist and president of the American Geophysical Union, said in an interview with Voice of America that there has never been a greater need for scientists to speak up publicly to defend scientific integrity. I think the day is gone when scientists can stay in their ivory towers and assume that everyone is going to recognize their value. Finally, in Kentucky, on the heels of a coal museum installing solar panels on its roof to save money, this week a Kentucky coal company announced it's building the state's largest solar farm atop two of its closed mountaintop removal coal mines. Berkeley Energy Group says it's definitely not abandoning coal, but it sees the solar farm as a way to use reclaimed land and bring jobs for unemployed coal workers and clean energy to the area. And use all of that free sunshine falling from the sky. Just saying. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. You might as well be walking on the sun. Hi, Des. In the hours since our uh, Green News report there, uh, where we, uh, you reported Exxon uh, seeking a, uh, a, a waiver to uh, start drilling again with Russia up in the Arctic? Yes, and uh, we, we just got... Yes, we do. Yeah. We just got word that the Treasury Department has denied that Exxon request for has a denied. waiver. denied. Yep. Denied the waiver, uh, despite Exxon's former CEO, now as the Secretary of State... Uh, Mnuchin said uh, that the uh, administration, quote, will not be issuing waivers to U.S. companies, including Exxon, authorizing drilling prohibited by current Russian sanctions. Yeah, Exxon responded by saying, we understand. Wow. Okay. There's a For surprise. whatever reason they're doing it, There's I'm a surprise glad they did. finish to today's program, uh, but uh, make of that what you will. I'm sure we'll make of it much more in the future. Until then, uh, my thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it for free, as ever, at bradblog.com. While you're there, 
Uh, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate, you all are greatly appreciated to help us continue to do what we do every day. You can drop me email if you like as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. My thanks to everyone for, for uh, listening to us today. Share us far and wide if you can. Otherwise, we will see you soon again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.